Welcome to The Application, the go-to, how-to podcast for higher education marketers. I'm your host, Allison Tercio, Assistant Vice President of Enrollment and Marketing at Siena College. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, this podcast is packed with practical tips and actionable advice to help you elevate your marketing game. In each snackable episode, we bring in experts to share their insights and experience on the topics that matter most to you. Got a question or idea you'd like us to cover? Email team at enrollify.org or reach out to me on Twitter or LinkedIn. The application is part of the Enrollify Podcast Network. And if you like this show, you'll definitely want to check out our other higher ed focused podcasts on admissions, tech, marketing, and more. They're packed with stories, ideas, and tools to help you be the best in your field. All right, it's time for the show. This episode is a must listen for all you higher ed marketers out there who understand the challenge of managing a flood of opinions when it comes to the website. We've all been there. Everyone seems to have a perspective on how the website should look and feel and what it should say, but how can we turn these potentially divergent conversations into something productive? That's where data-driven strategies come in. Joining us today is Lindsay Hicks from Rochester Institute of Technology, a seasoned professional with a wealth of experience in web design and digital marketing. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. This is a very exciting topic. Let's start with the big picture. When it comes to website design, everyone seems to have an opinion. How can we strike a balance between valuable feedback and avoiding design decisions that are solely based on subjective input? Yeah, that's a really good question. A great one to start off with too, because web design is really exciting. You're putting something new out there. You're going to see how it's performing. And we inherently want to design something that's for ourselves based on our lived experiences. You know, we leave, live and breathe this information every single day. It's pretty human. Yeah. It's pretty human to come from your own perspective. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah. But that's a lot of times where the problem originates because we can't truly put ourselves in our user's shoes as much as we try. You know, we have conversations with them every day. We hear a lot of their complaints, but we, we can never really remove our own biases from our design. So this is where a lot of data comes in because when we can't remove ourselves, we end up creating poor experiences for the users. And not only is can be bad for the user, but it can also make us miss the mark on our goals. So for admissions, if we're trying to get open house registrations or campus visits or uh, inquiry form fills, if we aren't designing for the user, there's an increased chance that they're not going to complete those tasks that we want them to complete. So the balance is a really thoughtful one. It's an empathetic one because we need to understand the people that are using our website. And if we are truly committed to designing for the users, it's kind of a difficult conversation. Yeah, what, how do you deal with when someone perhaps in your internal community, not maybe the target audience, comes in and they say, well, I really think the website should look like this. I think it should have images that showcase this. I think the video should be on this topic or the copywriting should be focused on a certain message the college is trying to send. How do you turn those conversations into something productive backed by data? So I always like to start with setting your goals and objectives. And I know we hear this all the time, but it really is true what 
it's what will help you in the long run in the end when you are going to measure this product and when you're eventually going to have a discussion about what does appear on that website. So if you can sit down and stop talking less about what it looks like and more about what you want the page to do is where you can set those goals. And it helps, like I said, it helps weed out those opinions down the road. So it gets everyone on the same page. It helps weed out opinions later, and it provides something to really measure against. Uh, but I will never remove or discredit anything that a stakeholder or subject matter expert has to say about a website because they are the content providers. As much as you can set your goals, they're going to know what needs to be on the web page, the type of content that needs to be on there. They're going to help you really set the outline for it. So it's where that balance comes in of we're going to use a little bit of your experience, but we also need to remember that we're designing for someone else that's not you. Um, so once those goals are established, I'd like to go and do user research. And it's in a lot of the projects I've worked on, it's not something that people have done in the past. And so there's different ways you can do it. I, If I'm working on a really big project, I will do uh, surveys or focus groups and interviews and really try to collect information from the users about what they're looking for. But that can be really time consuming. I really reserve that usually for my big projects because you're not gonna do it if you're just redesigning one page, but it's gonna give you a lot of valuable information. But the other one that is a lot quicker and easier to gather is your Google Analytics. It is different behavior tracking tools. So these will let you see how someone's using your website, exactly what they're interacting with, where they're coming from. And it'll provide just snippets of data that you can use to create better designs. Now, anyone who has listened to this podcast knows I'm a huge proponent of empathy and using empathy in all of our marketing strategies. So I really love that what you're saying, because you're having empathy with the person who has an opinion, the content expert, and you're having empathy for the end user of that content. And then you're also even helping to build the empathy with the content expert, say the administrator or the faculty member that you're having a conversation with about their audience. So this is like a full circle empathy moment. I think that's awesome. And a lot of people don't think of that I think when it comes to web, because a lot of people put web off as technical and not emotional, but any kind of information and content sharing has the potential. Not everybody seizes this potential, but to make that emotional connection with yeah. the end user. And I found too, that the more that I can bring everyone in and show them the data and kind of get them on board with collecting it and seeing how it's being used, the more when we're making those decisions later on down the road, they are saying, uh, I'm not sure. Can you look at the heat map? They're starting to ask me those questions versus me being the one saying, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's talk about some of those tools that you use to help gather the data and be able to share it with other people on your campus. You just mentioned heat maps. So let's start there. Heat maps and scroll maps. How can tools like that guide us in creating a user-centered website experience? Yeah, heat maps and scroll maps are really fun. They were one of my first introductions to behavior tracking tools. And they allow you to see a visual representation of someone clicking on your page, scrolling on it. It collects information from a sample of users on your website. So it's a good amount depending on how many people are visiting the page. 
you can tell which places on your page are most popular. You can see if one CTA versus another CTA is being clicked on more um, with heat maps. You can see with heat maps if something you designed is not in, being used the way you intended it to. Uh, one thing that we often see is some of our icons people try to click on and they're not clickable. So it, it makes us think, hey, this is something that maybe we should, they're looking to get there. Maybe we should pull those in. Scroll maps are awesome too, because if you don't have any like jump links within the page, it shows you where on the page people stop scrolling, where they kind of lose interest. And in today's day and age, we are moving quick. We're looking for something when we come to our website. You have to put your most important information at the top of your page because you'll be able to see where they drop off, where they're saying, eh, I'm not investing any more time in this page. I'm not scrolling anymore. So it's going to help you in your conversations. If going back to goals, if a certain piece of content is going to help you meet a goal, it'll help you decide where on a page to put that. So you, you mentioned a couple when you were describing the heat maps and score maps, but what are some of the types of changes or the types of insights that become really clear when you're using those tools? Yeah, like I said, where people are clicking, you can break down as well where they're coming from based on the campaign code. You can uh, tell if they're coming from another country. So you can really see, you can really see what where the person's coming from and how they're using that page. So does your page need to change depending on, do you need a different page depending on if they're coming from one campaign versus another? That's a little bit higher, higher level when you get into the strategy of it. But if you're just focusing on one page, it'll help you figure out what buttons to click, what buttons are being clicked on most, what videos are being played, where people are scrolling on your page and help you figure out what, where to, to move all of that content around or change copy, change images, stuff like that. What are some changes that you've made after doing some specific examples about changes you've made after doing one of these exercises? Yeah, our graduate admissions pages, we just redesigned all of them. And if I'm talking just heat maps and scroll maps, we worked, I'll reference our homepage was one of the pages that we recently redid. Looking at the old page and how pe how things were being used, there's a lot of content on the page that didn't really, that we found based on heat maps and scroll maps didn't apply to the users. All right, so now let's talk about screen recordings. I know you've mentioned to me this as one of the tools too. Can you explain how watching user interactions can inform the design decisions? Yeah, I like to call them screen recordings, but a lot of times they're referenced to session recordings. So for anyone listening to this, if you are, are looking for this tool, Google session recordings, but I'll probably keep calling them screen recordings. But these are probably my favorite tool because it really gives you the most firsthand account of what someone is doing on your website. So it measure it starts your recording when a user gets on your website when they first enter all the way through the end of their session. It can be anywhere from 30 seconds to 40 minutes and up. So these can sometimes take a lot of time to get through. But you can watch as their cursor is moving around the page, what pages they're navigating through, if they're getting stuck on any buttons. So if if they're clicking on something, it's not going anywhere, or they're clicking and it's not going anywhere that they're intended. I'll see sometimes people kind of like going in a loop and it helps you really investigate if there's anything wrong with your website, helps you gain insight into how they're using your website. If they're clicking on certain items, 
and it gives you the most firsthand experience from their eyes. And this is another one too, that it will tell you if they're from a certain country or what campaign they came from. But for me, it's been the one that opens up ideas and how to redesign your website to make it easier for the user to use. That sounds really cool. Also sounds like it could be a little creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So so how does this session slash screen recording tool work from a privacy perspective? Yeah. So no information, no personal information is tracked from users on the website. When they arrive on the website, there's no IP address attract. I don't like, we don't know anything about their name. We can see those basic things like Google Analytics would collect campaign codes, countries they're coming from. When they get to certain forms, all of the input fields are blacked out. So I can never tell what someone's typing into a field. Sometimes if they put something in the search bar, I might be able to tell based on the search results. So, you know, sometimes a search result will highlight certain keywords, but it's any form field is blocked out, whether it's a search or whether it's some type of inquiry form or something. And then you can also set pages where you don't want to track to. So any personal student services pages, anything that they have to log into, there's no tracking once they log in. So we're really only focusing on those public pages. Well, it happened again. Prospect Paul is excited about attending your institution, but is getting constantly confused by all of the information and tasks he needs to complete to enroll, creating friction and even worse, melt. You knew this was gonna happen again, which is why you've been flagging the need for a come to Jesus meeting with leadership from marketing, admissions, and IT to audit the digital experience for prospective students. Here's the problem. You're not going to convince Mark from marketing to let go of his marketing automation software. Adriana from admissions just got set up with her new CRM. And Isabel from IT is still working through ticket requests from last Christmas. But what if you could come to the table with a solution that didn't require anyone to let go of their software, while at the same time ensuring a frictionless experience for prospects and current students alike? Well, guess what? Today is your lucky day. Meet Pathify, an innovative higher ed engagement hub that puts students at the center of their college journey. Pathify sits at the center of your school's digital ecosystem, becoming the single user experience interface tying together all systems, content, and communications. Their engagement hub elevates the information that matters most and pushes symptoms like the SIS behind the scenes where they belong making it simpler for students to discover and engage with the opportunities your institution provides at every step of their journey, from prospect to alumni. What's even better, Pathify has a mobile experience that provides 100% parity with the responsive web app, so your campus app is always in sync. Pathify is a platform that every stakeholder on campus, from marketing to admissions to student affairs to IT and more, can get equally excited about. Learn more about how Pathify is uniting strategic units across campus and bettering the entire student experience by visiting pathify.com. And be sure to tell them that Allison from the application sent you their way. So a lot of people listening to this are sitting in the marketing shop, right? How do marketers, A, get access to these tools, B, 
actually get them put onto the website so they can use them? How does that all work? Yeah, there's a number of, you know, if you Google heat maps, scroll maps, session recordings, there's a number of vendors. I know we use Crazy Egg, there's Hotjar, all of those optimizely. When we'll talk, like if we talk about EV testing, all of those are providers that you can sign up for and there's monthly fees. There's different, they, they definitely have plans that fit different budgets, which is really nice, but the, it's all based on a tracking code. So it's just like Google, Google Analytics, it's a tracking code that's put on your website and then it just starts collecting from there. So heat maps and scroll maps for our tools that we use, we have to tell which page we want it to go on as well for session recordings. I usually tell which page we want it to go on. I'm sure if we had a, a bigger plan, we could track more pages. But. Yeah, but that makes sense because at colleges and universities, there's mostly the top layer, for instance, that you're really worried about making sure is highly optimized. The deeper you get and that you're not as worried about that because those users are digging. Yeah. And so <laughs> you don't have to really have it as optimized at, at those deeper levels. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned A-B testing. Let's talk about that for a second. How does A-B testing, and I think people are familiar probably who are listening with A-B testing in terms of like an email subject line. Yeah. But but website, there's a lot of different stuff that you could A-B test. So how does this technique work and how does it help us validate design and content choices well? Yeah, this is my favorite when it comes to having those tough conversations when someone comes in um, and wants to use one graphic versus another. Um, a lot of times we get tough, stuck in those tough conversations, but an A-B test will allow us to see, okay, hey, we're going to try this graphic versus another, or we're going to try this copy line of copy versus another. Or with A-B test, you can test an entire page to see which one's performing better from an email or not. So it allows you to, to solve the pain point of which one increases conversions, decreases bounces. And you can really just see which one actually performs better. I love that because I hate saying no. <laughs> I, know, I, hard. I, I don't like having those conversations where I'm like, I really, from my experience, I know this isn't a good idea, but you don't want to be the one telling the person it's not a good idea, but this lets the data answer it. You don't have to be. And I'm all about being proven wrong. So when you when you have this as an option, it's great because otherwise you do have to go on your experience, right? And the data that you've seen prior. But maybe this jumps the shark. Maybe this tells you something new. And so it also might change your own thinking. So it works both ways. I love that. Yes, exactly. So can you share some real world examples of how you've used these tools at RIT and you know, sort of what the outcome of that was? Yeah. So since we just talked about EB testing, I'll talk about that one first. We put out a video recently that everyone loved. It was part of our Thrive campaign. And we were redesigning our search landing page. So the page that students first see when they get the first mail or their first introduction to RIT. And we've noticed in the past that videos on this page don't perform well. And we've taken them off the page. Um, but this video came out, we're like, this is great. Let's put this one everywhere. Everyone really loved this page. So when we were looking at this video, so when we were looking at the page, the question came up was, we love this video. Do we just love it or do students love it? Yeah, right. Good question. 
I know everyone who's listening has had a question just like yeah. that, probably this week. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other point to consider is we know that videos don't perform well on this page, but maybe this video will be the one to make the difference, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's um, so good. It's that good. Yeah. And I definitely lean more on the data. So, you know, I was on no video side. The more creatives were on the yes video side. We're going back and forth, chatting for 20 minutes. And finally, someone was like, hey, let's just A-B test this. So we did one page, one version with the video and one version without the video. And we found that there was actually no change in page engagement. So that was measuring engagement on the overall page. Video clicks for the for the video, the page with the video were the same. But what we did find was the page without the video actually had more clicks over to program pages. And based on our initial goals discussion, we wanted them to continue on from the search landing page. There's a lot of great information, a lot of links, but we wanted them to continue to the rest of our pages. It was a landing page, so you wanted them to continue. Exactly. Continue on and uh, continue to explore. And the page without the video had more clicks continuing on to the program pages. This makes sense because if you're looking at the page from mobile, you're scanning a QR code to get there from your print device. You don't have a video that's pushing down content. So without the video, it's sitting a little bit higher. You see all of the program pages right there and you're more likely to click over. So we ended up going without the video on the page because of that, because going back to our goals that we had set in advance, it was the one that helped meet our goals. Wow. And I can th- I can see that for RIT in particular about the program pages being important because RIT has some really unique majors that are offered. So I can see how that linkage is really essential because I bet that's a big part of the decision-making process in particular for RIT-admitted students. Yeah. And I have another example too, really based on that with the uh, degree pages. So when we were redesigning our grad admissions pages, there was there were a number of pages that we had to work through. And we're sitting there trying to figure out, okay, what do we start with? We couldn't do all of the pages at once. There's a lot of technical changes that needed to be made. And so we took a look first at Google Analytics, saw where people were coming from on our pages, found that they all started on our degree pages. Most of them ended up coming from search to our degree pages. And then they trickle out to admissions pages, tuition and fees, uh, financial aid, starting to figure out like, hey, is this doable? Is this something I want to apply to? What are the requirements? So we decided to start with our degree pages first, the admissions section within that. And... So I took a look at the heat map, saw kind of where people were clicking, where they were scrolling. It wasn't anything that was unusual or anything that I couldn't have just looked at and told you it wasn't going to work based on the way it was formatted. But once I got to the session recordings is where it got really interesting. I witnessed a couple of people going to the section. They would skim through the bullets of the requirements and get to the link at the bottom that says, learn more about graduate admissions, financial aid click through, land on the graduate admissions homepage, and then have to continue to look for what they're looking for. So you knew they were in some kind of loop and not finding. Wow. This one user in particular went back to the degree page, back to a degree listing, ended up on a degree page again, clicked on it again, and then the third time realized, hey, I'm not doing this, thought about hitting some other buttons, eventually went to the search bar, and you could tell what he was looking for based on the return of his search input. And that just completely changed what we thought 
about how this section should look. We ended up pulling in all of the information from our deadlines and requirements page. We ended up linking directly to our instructions page for each um, material that they need. And then we changed to two CTAs, learn how to apply and apply. So getting them directly to either what they need to do or if they want to apply. And we also brought in some basic um, financial aid information because they end up going to those pages too. So that was a really huge value add that we got from session recordings. Yeah, high opening, really. I also love how you used these tools to figure out where to start. Because when you think about, I'm gonna, we're gonna redo graduate admissions, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> so I love how you helped it prioritize where to start because sometimes projects like that can just feel overwhelming and almost they d get delayed getting off the ground because it's too big. Yes. Yeah. You have to build it from the bottom first because the bottom will help dictate what goes on that homepage. Yeah. That's a really awesome way to leverage these. I have one last question for you. And usually I ask at the end of the podcast, what's next? Even if it's, a, if it's a small next step that a listener should take. But this time I want to ask you something a little different. What should our listeners do the next time someone calls or emails them with their thoughts about something they saw on the website? Going back to what you said about empathy, I think there's always some type of reason behind that call. So I would always ask questions first. Why, what is this that they're looking for? Was there a problem that triggered why they're calling this? Really try to gather as much information as you can, but then go back to the data. Don't just say, I mean, you can say yes and make the change and test it, but I would go back to the data. And I've got a little acronym that I came up with. It's called ABCD, always be collecting data. And what it means is get those tools set up, those ones that are really quick and easy, those heat maps, scroll maps, session recordings, get those set up so that when someone does call or email, you can say, hey, give me 20 minutes. I'm going to go check and see if this is actually working or if it's not. You can really help make the, the decisions based on that and provide something to reference. If you don't have the data, you can say, hey, we can test it. We can do an A-B test on it. Or even if it's something you need to make quick, you can make the change and then go back and see what it's, how it's performing later. But you're still going to need those tools set up to see how it's performing. So you can really take those conversations just to the next level to make sure that you're really designing for the user. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for sharing your experience and some really practical advice about things I think many of us are dealing with on an almost daily basis. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode. Stay tuned and subscribe for more episodes filled with valuable strategies and advice from experts like Lindsay. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org.